Hello, this is Kenny Williamson, and welcome back to another episode of the McKill's Deck Chronicles. If you've been listening to our other podcast, you'll know that this is a light-hearted but serious all things truth. So what we try to do here is basically speak the truth. So the little ministry that we're trying to put together is called Truth Seekers. And that's exactly what we're trying to do is seek the truth and find the truth and tell people the truth. And we're going to get these truths out of God's word. Just like it says in John 8 verse 32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, you know, everybody's heard that one, says the truth will set you free. That's basically what that means. Now, as you know, there are lots of people out there who do not want to hear the truth. And there's lots of people that when they hear the truth, they don't believe it. So, you know, sometimes the truth hurts. So one of the things we wanted to talk about today is the truth of the rapture. Is the rapture real and when's it going to happen? So we have plenty of verses that support the rapture as far as it is going to take place. There's no doubt about that. Now, as far as the date, some people think that in 2022 may be the date. Now, you have people who believe in the rapture that believe it's going to happen before the tribulation. Some think it's in the middle and some think it's at the end. Of course, that would be pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. So we won't get into that just yet as the when, because we have, and I have met and know of people who don't even believe there is a rapture. And what they're going to do is they're going to say, well, the Bible doesn't mention rapture. So, you know, how could it be the case? Well, that's true. Rapture is just a word, an English word that we're using to describe this catching away. But the Bible calls it several different things, but the word means to be caught up that they're using in the Greek language. So I'm going to go over a few of these different verses and show you what the Bible says, and then you can see what you think for yourself. So one of our first verses I want to go over is in 1 Thessalonians. Um, It's in chapter 4, and it's verse 15 through 17. Now, this is a letter that was written to the church of Thessalonica, and it was written by Apostle Paul. And he is telling them here, and we go down to verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, okay, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, then we get over here and it says in 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he then goes on to tell them, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So Paul is telling the church that you are going to be caught up in the air and meet Christ in the air. Now this is his second coming. His first coming was when he was born, lived 33 years, and died on the cross, and then, you know, rose again three days later. That was his first coming. His second coming is the rapture. This is when it tells us that we will literally be caught up in the air to meet him. And these people here were asking in this first Thessalonians, they were basically concerned about the people who had already died. 
and they were wondering how are they going to be raptured or anything or how are they going to do anything when they're buried and so he's explaining to them that the dead in Christ their bodies will be resurrected first so they're going to be resurrected first and they're going to be you know their soul is going to be put back in their body and they're going to meet up with Jesus in the air and then people who are still alive at that time you will be caught up in the air of course, this one doesn't tell us, but later verses will. Your body will be changed, and your everybody's going to meet in the air, then ascend to heaven. So one of the things Paul is doing here is telling them to comfort one another with these words. You know, that way they understand they're not going to be separated from their loved ones who have died already in Christ. So now we go on to the second letter to the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. This was also written by Paul, of course. And basically, apparently what's happened here is the church is is they're worried because they've received a letter, apparently, as if from him. And this letter told them that, hey, you guys missed the rapture and everything, and the day you're in tribulation. So the day of the Lord, which is Armageddon, you know, could happen any moment because you're in the tribulation right now. And so he writes them another letter, and he mentions to them, he says now, this is in chapter 2, that ye not be soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. So he's saying, don't, don't believe, you know, the letter, that the day of Christ is at hand. It says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, so we're talking about the day of the Lord, shall not come except there come a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed who's also called the son of perdition okay and he's going to opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called god or that is worshiped so that he is as god and sitteth in the temple of god showing himself that he is god so what he's saying is here the day of the lord is not going to come until these other things have happened. And one of the things that has to happen is the great falling away. And we also have to have the Antichrist revealed. Now, we know the Antichrist is here on the earth. You know, Satan is here on the earth. And he uses tools, different people and different things to be Antichrist. Which is basically anything against Christ. So, we know this Antichrist, or the son of perdition, is going to be revealed. So in other words, we know it exists now, but we have no idea who it is or where it is or anything else. So in order for this to take place, now this is the day of the Lord, we have to have first seen the son of perdition revealed. Now we know in Daniel, it talks about the Antichrist starting a peace treaty. He makes a peace treaty, a seven-year peace treaty. And this begins the 70th week of Daniel. Or the seven-year tribulation. So we know that's the seven years, the seven-year tribulation starts with the Antichrist making a peace treaty. Okay, after the Antichrist makes the peace treaty, the temple's rebuilt in Jerusalem. Okay, so we don't know who the Antichrist is, and this, this peace, treaty, peace treaty could be already on the table. You know, we don't know, and it's just a matter of getting it signed. But we get a peace treaty, and then we start building a temple. Because, like Daniel says, three and a half years into the middle of this peace treaty, the Antichrist breaks the peace treaty 
and that's when the mark of the beast system comes in full effect and you will not buy or sell unless you have his mark or worshiping or his image or his name so some point in that area there the antichrist is revealed because he does set himself up in the temple and it says right here you know that he he sets himself up in the temple showing himself that he's god so he sets himself up in the temple pretending he's god we know that is in the middle of the tribulation three and a half years in now it goes on to say here for the mystery of iniquity doth already work only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way and the word letteth means to restrain so what it's saying here is this iniquity is already working so the antichrist is already working his powers are already working but there's a restrainer he can't go hog wild if you will until the restrainer is taken out of the way he's being restrained and so you say well who's restraining well he's being restrained by the church the church age now you know is full of the holy spirit and the church is here and the church is resisting that's why you've got to resist evil so church members you know all across the world are resisting evil and that's what's restraining him he can't just come out in the open and go hog wild see until there is nobody restraining nobody's gonna tell him no so it goes on to say we have to be taken out of the way the restrainer has to be taken out of the way in order for him to set himself up okay so he can't set himself up and pretend he's God in this temple in Jerusalem well number one he can't do it until there's a peace treaty and he can't do it until the temples built and according to this he can't do it or he is going to do it three and a half years after the temples built but see he can't reveal himself until the restrainers taken out of the way so the church we the church we are the restrainers so we have to be taken out of the way so how are we going to be taken out of the way well that's where the rapture comes in we can't be here for this to happen so we must have been removed well how are we going to be removed well I suspect we're going to be removed just like Enoch was now Enoch is way back in Genesis and he is Methuselah's dad everybody's heard of Methuselah because you know they say old is Methuselah well Methuselah lived to be 969 years old Methuselah was the oldest person to have ever lived and he died at 969 years old apparently he died in the flood so he may have lived a little longer but you know I figure you know the guy's already 969 years old there's no point in putting somebody that old on the ark because he you know he may not live much longer so Noah and his family got on the ark but Methuselah didn't but Enoch was Methuselah's dad and Enoch lived to be 300 and some odd years old like 365 years old and he was taken and so it says over here in Genesis 5:22, it says and Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and he begot sons and daughters so he was walking with God after Methuselah was born it says all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him well what does that mean well later on in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5 it's talking about faith and how you have to have faith to get things done here and it says by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him 
For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So basically, Enoch was spared death in the flood because he had faith and he had a testimony and he pleased God. So he was translated. So he disappeared. Basically, he was raptured. He was raptured up, disappeared, and that was the end of him. And now keep in mind, that happened right before the flood. So he got to escape God's judgment. So now we come to the second time this has happened. It happened over here in 2 Kings with Elijah. Now Elijah, he had done all sorts of good things, and he was a good man of God, and we can get into that later. But what happened to Elijah is the same thing. Um, it says there in 2 Kings 2.11 that it came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And it says, Elijah saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof, and they saw him no more. So Elijah did the same thing. He uh, was translated. He went up into heaven in a whirlwind. Of course, the Bible doesn't use the word translated here, or it doesn't use the word rapture, but it does say he went up into heaven in a whirlwind. So, same, same thing here. Now, I also think Moses is a worthy mention here. Over in Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verse 5, it talks about Moses, and it's prior to that, it's talking, the Lord is talking, and the Lord is saying these different things, and he says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Bethapor, but no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died, and his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. So what we're saying here in that particular verses is that all of a sudden, you know, Moses died for no apparent reason. He was dead, and God took him and buried him. Now this says the, the body was buried, okay? So we know God just randomly took him. It says that his eyes weren't dim and there was basically nothing wrong with him. So he is up and dies all of a sudden whenever his job is done. And God takes him and buries him and nobody knows where. So that's kind of another one of those um, you know, mysterious, you know, obviously he was translated into heaven. Now his body stayed here on earth because it says he was buried. But we know he went on to heaven. And we know that. Because later on, Jesus is seen talking to Moses and Elijah. It says over here in Matthew 17, verse 1, says, And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, okay, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Now, Elias is just another way they say Elijah in the King James Bible. In other Bibles, it has the same name, but it's the same guy. So, Moses has been dead now, like 1,200 years. Moses' birth was somewhere like 1,400 B.C., and you know he lived to be 120 years old. And then we've got Elijah... Um, he's like 870 BC. So these guys are nearly 
been dead close to a thousand years, and yet here they are talking to Jesus standing right there, and everybody even recognizes them. So we've seen here a couple of instances where people have been caught up or translated, and then they appear again, and like we have in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are also confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So what they're saying here is when you're in your body, like we are right now, listen to this, we are not with Jesus in heaven. We're absent from the Lord. But when we're out of our body, we're going to be present with the Lord. And that just proves that with these three guys, you know, their body's gone. Of course, we don't know what happened to their bodies, the other guys, but we know Moses was buried. But yet he's still up in heaven with the Lord. And the Lord comes down here on earth. You know, Jesus is down here on earth. And so they come down from heaven to talk to him. So one of the other ways we know that the church, and that's what we are, is we are the church and we're in the church age, or the age of the Gentiles. One of the other ways we know we're not going to have to go through the tribulation is it mentioned several times, or we won't have to go through God's wrath, is it mentioned several times that we're not appointed to wrath. And we've got several verses that talk about that. For example, over here in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, verse 9, says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We also have over in 1 Thessalonians um, 10, it says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Then over in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it starts, it says, But God commendeth his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So we have this reoccurring theme that if you are saved, of course it takes the blood of Jesus Christ, you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. If you're saved, you will not have to endure God's wrath. So... We know that the tribulation marks the beginning of God's wrath. And we know this because all these horrible things happen. And it says right in the middle of the tribulation, again, we have the Antichrist revealed. And he can't be revealed until the restrainer has been removed. So I've heard the argument now that some of these words and stuff about the rapture and all that stuff, that, you know, they've been mistranslated. And that kind of stuff. They also say that we will have to go through the tribulation. We just won't have to go through God's wrath at the end whenever Jesus comes down and touches down to the ground and starts Armageddon. So the question, I guess, would be, since we're not appointed to God's wrath, when exactly does God's wrath officially start? Hmm, that's a good question. So if you're reading in Revelation... You know, it talks about the seal judgments. It also talks about the trumpet judgments and the vile judgments. So here in Revelation 5, 2, we see it says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? 
So basically we've got this book. It's full of the seals and the judgments and nobody's worthy to open it. So they're asking in heaven, hey, who's worthy to open this thing? Well, over here in Revelation 5, 12, it says, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now he's the one that's worthy. So he's the only one that's worthy to open this book and start pouring out these seals. So then we jump over here to Revelation chapter 6, 1. And it says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. So the very first start of these judgments is the seals. Now, he starts to open this seal apparently pretty early on because the first seal that's opened is a white horse. And the white horse is basically global false peace. That's what that is. So there is nothing really that bad as far as, you know, we have peace, or at least we think we have peace. So people are like, well, you know, maybe we're going to get raptured out after that because, you know, that's not really that bad. But, you know, we get to the second seal, which is the Red Horse seal, and it's basically global war. So that's definitely not any good. You know, we get to the third seal, um, we've got global famine. So, you know, you're probably going to starve to death on that. And the fourth seal, we've got global death, quarter of mankind killed by sword, famine, and wild beasts. So on the fourth seal, we literally have wild beasts attacking and killing people, along with famine and being killed by the sword. Well, of course, you know, that's because we've already got a global war going on. So this sounds to me a lot like God's wrath. So God starts this wrath he's pouring upon the earth, you know, at the first seal. And the first seal we have, again, global false peace. Now that sounds an awful lot like the global or the peace treaty that we're going to have over there in Israel, where all of a sudden we have a seven-year peace treaty that enables them to start building the temple. So if you start adding all this stuff up, you know, other Christians in the past have been basically raptured or transcended up. Okay, so we've seen that. We know in Scripture that to be absent from your body is to be present with Christ. We've seen that. We've seen the people come down and talk to Christ after they had died. So we can see that in Scripture. We know that's real. We also know that Scripture says that we are not appointed to wrath. And it says that in multiple places, multiple times. And we also have the fact that Scripture says the man of sin cannot be revealed until the restrainer has been taken away. So the restrainer, of course, is the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And the church is connected with that, so they just about have to be right there with them. So if we have... God's wrath being poured out on the earth and it starts with the first seal and the first seal is global peace I think that's what a person needs to look for I think if a person takes a look and the temple if, if a peace treaty gets passed and that temple in Jerusalem starts being built I think a person can set their clock right then and that's probably the beginning of the seven-year tribulation now, are we going to see that temple built as Christians? I don't know, because I think we're going to have to have that, that seal in place and opened to get the peace treaty to begin with. Maybe not. 
but right in that area. So if that's the case, maybe we're right around the corner. And of course, like I've discussed in other other podcasts, is you know how are we going to get this peace treaty done and all this stuff? Are we going to have some type of alien show up and want peace by then? You know, I really don't know. Are we going to have aliens on the scene by then? I guess we'll soon find out. So, I'm going to go ahead and conclude this podcast on this particular subject, but I am going to do another one on when the rapture may take place. And a lot of signs are pointing that it may be right around the corner. In fact, some people believe that it may be actually in 2022. That's when the tribulation may start. And if we get raptured pre-tribulation, then the rapture may be right around the corner. So I guess we'll see with that as well. But meanwhile, until that happens, I mean, if, if the rapture did happen soon, or whether it happens later, or whether it didn't happen at all, um, either way, in order to ever see it, you're going to have to be saved. And so what I've come up with is this little thing. It's the simple, it's, it's called the ABCs of salvation. And so basically it's A, admit you're a sinner, B, believe Jesus is Lord, and then C, just call upon his name. And so if you do those three things, you can be saved. And what we can do is we can sum up those three things with a very simple prayer. And that little prayer goes like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that I'm a sinner and that Jesus died for me and paid for all of my sins on the cross. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins I put my faith and trust in Jesus and ask him to be my Lord and Savior. I want to live my life for Christ. I understand that my salvation is not based on my works, but on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So thank you for listening. Please come back. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to make, you can send us an email at truthseekers2012 at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.